Good morning. Ooh, that's loud. We are in the book of Revelations, chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. But realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, by your Son and through your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray this morning that you would find our hearts to be fertile ground to receive your word. May it take deep root and bear much fruit. I praise you, King Jesus, um, the one who is, the one who was, and is to come. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done, are doing, and will yet to do, both for your kingdom and in this church. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. So as we get started this morning, um, how many of y'all have iPhones? Oh, I've done it again. I've created an Android versus iPhone thing. Uh, so my iPhone, I'm kind of new to it, uh, but it shows a significant location on my map, and, I was, and it's here. This is a significant location in, in, in our life, uh, and today is a very significant day, uh, Palm Sunday. Um, Christ uh, rides into town, into Jerusalem today, uh, to people shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And people are just laying down palm branches and cloaks. They're, just, they're dirtying their garments. Uh, and and this, this treatment is, is royal. Right? They're, they're just they're going crazy, uh, and people are stirred up. But just a few days later, this stirring completely changes, uh, and they're yelling, crucify him. Went from Hosanna, save us now, which is what that means, uh, to crucify him. And so on this significant day, I hope we, we can pick up on that and notice uh, why it's significant. Right? It's not just that people were laying down palm branches. I mean, it is. It's called Palm Sunday, after all. But there's something more. There's something moving in the midst that people just weren't picking up on. There was an expectation. Uh, and it seems maybe uh, Jesus wasn't going with the expectation of the crowd. Uh, and, and so what we see is that they saw Christ, and they were clearly stirred. Clearly, they were, they were stirred uh, at what they were witnessing. But they failed to perceive what God was doing. And so as we're reminded of Palm Sunday, I'm not just talking about Palm Sunday, we're, we're going to talk about the triumphal entry, but we're talking about 
the church to Laodicea. And so in a sense, after uh, that was read, after Angel read that, I was like, well, maybe we're done. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if I can uh, improve upon that, uh, spitting out of the mouth, vomiting out of the mouth, uh, but we will, we will try. Uh, and so uh, is, uh, the triumphal entry is paired with that, and this is the last of the churches. And so I have a little map to kind of show uh, where we've come. Uh, and so we've, we've started with the, the church, uh, John on Patmos, and he's written to all these churches, and, and they have come full circle, and we're in the last one. Uh, and there it is, and you can't see it very well because apparently it's too blurry. It looked good on mine. But as you see, we start, and we're in Laodicea now, and you can't see it. So we're just going to move on. Oh, you see it. You see it, clearly. You, you sir, are not spiritually blind. Very good. So, uh, but the church was. The church uh, at Laodicea was spiritually blind. They had fallen complacent, which was a big thing we'll look at. And they were stirring but they really weren't stirring for the right things. They were stirring for, for self-sufficiency, not the things of God. Uh, and so the church was buying into the riches of the city. And in a second, we're going to talk about uh, history. I love history. If you don't like history, I'll try and make it as interesting as possible. love that history. We're going to talk a little bit about the history and the geography of Laodicea so we fully understand what was going on. But this, this city, this church rather, was being completely absorbed into the city. And so Laodicea was a city like Sardis. Kobe uh, took us over uh, the, the church at Sardis, and they were very wealthy. Um, but uh, Sardis had a, had a, had a, was commended for something. They had a reputation. So let's see, what was Laodicea? Were they commended for anything? And no, no. So sorry, survey says no. So there was no commendation. They were not commended for a single thing. Uh, Christ just comes in and he gets busy uh, getting in there. And so Laodicea was quite wealthy, but unlike Sardis, they weren't commended for anything. Sardis had that reputation. Uh, Laodicea is known for, there was an earthquake about A.D. 60, and it just devastated the whole, uh, the whole city. Um, and then when Rome kind of came in, they said, hey, kind of like I guess you could think like a FEMA. They go in there, hey, we'll, we'll help you rebuild. They're like, no thanks, we've got this. Uh, and so they rebuilt the whole city themselves, and they apparently rebuilt it much more lavish than before because they were so wealthy. Now, how were they so wealthy? Uh, they, they were known for banking. They had a lot of gold. They minted some coins. Um, they, had a, they were known for a very fine black wool that people would travel long distances to, to, to get, to obtain. Uh, this black wool was kind of like I'm, I'm, I'm not fashion conscious, but uh, it would be like maybe Versace, perhaps. Like, they're like, oh, are you wearing Laodicean wool? Is that, is that what you have there? Uh, and they would, they would see that, and they would know. Uh, and so they knew what it, what it was up, and everyone, they were on a trade route. And so people are coming and going quite, and, and, and you'll see this. There's some, there's some kind of just similarities to just to Houston being on I-10 like you know there's a trade route very long road so this this church when as I was going through this really kind of hit home to to our area they were also known for medical purposes which Houston is well known for its medical center they had an eye salve which was essentially just a crushed powder like a stone powder uh, and it helped with eye diseases uh, and then they were also known for bad water 
So these three good things, which brought them a lot of wealth and a lot of notoriety, but they're also known for this, this bad water. And so Laodicea was located on the trade routes. Uh, there's another map that kind of shows the distance between where they got their water from. So it was very close, about six miles uh, from Hierapolis to the north. Uh, and then there is no map. <laughs> Just joking. Uh, and then about to the, uh, what would it be, to the east was Colossae. This is also important. The letter to the Colossians actually is very, mentions a lot uh, of the, uh, the Laodicean church. And so they were very close, closely charted together. So six miles to the north was Hierapolis. That's important. That's where they got some of their water. They piped it in. Uh, it was from hot springs. They also had mountain spring water from Colossae. But Laodicea itself was known for just a putrid, bad water system. They had a river that kind of ran near it called the Lycus River. I liken it to the Brazos River, but probably worse. Uh, and so this water was not good for drinking. Everyone knew it. And so they piped this water in. And so we're gonna, I want you to remember that they have bad water, really, really bad water. If any, anyone coming to town would know, did you bring your bottled water? You know, you don't want to drink Laodicea's water, right? They would, they would know that. It was bad. So they piped it in, and even the piped-in water was bad uh, because it sat and sat and sat. Mineral buildup, and then you drank it, and it would just be warm by the time you actually got it. So with those things in mind, let's get into uh, our scripture today, which is from verse 14. So verse 14, uh, as angel so well read, I'm going to read it again just for my own sake here. So he says, and to the angel, angel, of the church of Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. First, when I was going through this, I was kind of jumping over this, trying to get to the, the heart of the letter, but I kept coming back to this and realizing that Christ is calling attention to his name, which is one of the clear things that the church is missing. They don't, he calls himself the amen. We finish prayers with this. He starts a sentence with this, I am the amen, or amen, amen, truly, truly, verily, verily. Uh, this is similar to us saying amen at the end, but he's saying at the beginning. We just sang a song about this a couple songs back, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20, uh, that God's promises find their yes in him. All God's promises are yes and amen. And this is a big thing. That the, the, uh, the church of Laodicea, likewise at Colossae and Hierapolis, are missing. They don't see and they don't understand that God is who he says he is. God is saying, I am certain, I am faithful and true. You can trust me when I say this. And they have gotten way off base. They have gotten completely self-sufficient and are trusting only in themselves. And so as we look at this, uh, we must move through this passage with this understanding because God calls the church to fully understand him. And you cannot fully understand God if you don't understand his name and how certain he actually is. So God calls the church to fully understand him. The church at Laodicea does not fully understand him. They are believers. They get that check, but they don't know anything further. They're not trusting in him to be the yes, the amen, the faithful and true witness. To be honest, they're kind of neutral. And when you have a car in neutral, what happens? 
you can push it any way you want. You don't want a car in park when you need to push it. You want it neutral, and it will go to the easiest direction, and that's what's happening. So why is this understanding needed? Uh, well, to, to talk about uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, because uh, he, he talks about Laodicea quite a bit in, in chapter 4 there. Uh, there are similar problems that are happening. Uh, Epaphras, who started the church at Colossae, uh, also likely started the church at Laodicea. And Paul states in that letter um, that he would like for them to be able to stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That is Epaphras's prayer for the church at Colossae and Laodicea, that they would be mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So it's clear that this was a concern that those believers had uh, in not that they knew they had it, but that they had that issue of understanding God. And second, there were outside influences that were harming this. There were people infiltrating that and causing some of these problems. So, as we get to this, and uh, you, you couple the affluence of Laodicea, as we previously talked about, with this false doctrine, it's a very potent cocktail of self-sufficiency, of complacency, and living for yourself. And this is precisely why he opens a letter to the church like this. I am the amen. I am faithful. I am true. You can trust me. You can believe this. If you're sitting here today and you struggle with this notion, Christ knows this. And I know that there are people that struggle with this. You can take him at his word. Christ is faithful and true. He is certain. We can be we can fully understand God, and he wants us to do so. So as we move from this, we get into verses 15 through 18. Uh, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold nor hot. I always want to say hot or cold. I don't, does anyone like that? But the scripture says cold or hot. Cold or hot, would that you were either cold or hot, so because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. I need nothing. I'm good. I'm good. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Right there, just went straight after their three industries, right? We're wealthy. We got this great medical uh, ish, uh I salve, and third, we've got Laodicean wool. This is not Laodicean wool. I think this is a, a Dockers. Yeah, Dockers. <laughs> so, our understanding or misunderstanding of Christ and the worldview we cultivate flow naturally into our works and our motivations. So the second thing that I think is important to understand here is that gold time for a bit of a water break, isn't it? <laughs> God! God calls the church to renewed motivations. And where do we get that from? So our understanding or misunderstanding of Christ and the worldview we cultivate flow naturally into our works and motivations. Surely we work, we do things, we do the deeds, and as we see, when God says, I know your works... Works, deeds, the deeper meaning of that is what are you, why are you really doing what you're doing? 
Well, if I'm self-sufficient, I probably don't really trust the amen. I don't think you're certain. Or I've gotten so off base that I'm just completely going with myself now. So the spirit behind this is works or deeds. He's interested in motivations. God calls the church to renewed motivations. So in effect, he's saying, I know why you're doing what you're doing. Do you know why? Or do you know what you're doing? Do we think about that? Have we ever considered that? So what are these works? Well, we know that they're completely self-sufficient. We know that they're depending only on themselves. We know that they're very, quite wealthy uh, and that they've completely bought into the things around the city. Which there's nothing inherently wrong with being wealthy. Please don't hear me say that today or give you some anxiety trip uh, today. That's not the point here. These things aren't inherently bad, but having nice clothes, being wealthy, and completely depending on their health as they could funnel it and make it better, these were driving forces of their self-sufficiency. I need nothing, remember? I have everything. I need nothing. God, that means you, too. And so what's really driving the Laodicean church is not the vertical relationship with God, but this horizontal, I've got everything, all my buddies, all my friends in low places, you know, we, we're good. All my relationships are, are okay. And so as we see this, the church is really, as Matthew McConaughey would say, the church is living, L-I-V-I-N, living. They're, they've got it going on, and they know it to some extent. But they are being branches of the city. If the vine is the city, they are the branches of the city. They are not branches of the true vine. They're just kind of going part and parcel with what the city is doing. The power of the gospel is not present to transform their lives. The power of I salve is. The power of how big is my bank account is. And whatever fashionable item I'm wearing. Again, please do not hear me say shouldn't dress nicely or that it's, it's not okay to make money. That's not the point. The point is the motive. It's the motivation that when I have this, I'm good. And I need nothing now. So it's very difficult to do this when the power of the gospel is not present because we all know that the power of the gospel is not present here, and we all know that money fixes everything, right? I mean, money fixes everything. There was a rapper that once said, mo' money, mo' problems. I don't know about that. Uh, but one of my favorite hymns growing up, I went to a very traditional church, uh, was Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And, you know, when I was really young, I guess I was a very serious lad, uh, I was like, I think I want this one sung at my funeral, or one of the songs sung at my funeral, because when I was really young, I thought about that. I don't know. Uh, but I'm not going to sing it, but it goes, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And you can't stop being self-sufficient if you keep staring at things. Right? I have a sign in my office that says you can't move on with your life. You keep rereading the last chapter. And so there's this, this idea. It's a cute song. Bought it for me. I keep it up there. Some days I get tired of looking at it. It's like, so cliche. Uh, but it's there, right? But if we keep staring at the things of earth, we can't move forward. Only by staring and focusing on the things of Christ can we move forward. 
So we can't change these motivations of our heart if we keep staring at the same thing. We can't keep eating the same diet expecting something else to change. Donuts don't do it, right? We can't keep eating. Oh, but they're so good. You know, my kids asked me today, they, they, we woke up, and some, we usually do pancakes on Saturday, um, but, uh, you know, we were at the ball field like at 7.30 for picture day yesterday, so it ain't going to happen yesterday. They're like, Daddy, pancakes. And I'm like, and Meredith was like, well, Daddy's preaching today. You know, he's kind of busy. And, and they're like, and? You know, like, pancakes, you know, like. I'm like, you know, no, no pancakes, but we will, we'll get back on that, that thing. Uh, so just didn't get it. So Jesus calls them out, right? We're about to get to the, to the fun part where uh, we, he spits us out, or he, as the word more closely resembles, vomits us out, much more intense word. And so uh, it's good to, uh, to return really quickly to this water issue. Remember, what did I say the water was? Bad. I didn't even have to ask you to see it. Bad. How bad was it? Really bad. There you go. Really bad. What do we want? Good water. Now, right? Uh, this wasn't Topo Chico coming out of the, the, you know, the, the, the draft, right? It was bad water. Uh, and so uh, Laodicea's water was muddy and undrinkable. But they had really good sources of water on either side. So this is another little picture. You've got Heropolis over here. If I'm going to do this justice, you got uh, down here about six miles. You got Laodicea, and then over here, you got Classe. They're kind of in the middle, kind of, right? You got Great Mountain. Uh, I'm sorry, Hot Spring. They were known for their baths up there in uh, Heropolis. People would go there and get a hot spring bath. Very nice. Uh, Colossae had Mountain Spring, very, very cool and refreshing. And they're in the middle, kind of like that lukewarm thing, right there. So geographically, they're in the middle, and they're in the middle of life, right? You got good and good. And that's the thing about the water. I know we, a lot of people talk about, oh, be, be hot or cold. No, hot is good. It's refreshing, right? I, I, I love hot showers. I'm not a big, I don't know if you people do cold showers. Don't get that. But hot showers, very, very nice. But cold water on a hot day, oh, can you, have you ever like felt water? You're so thirsty, you feel it go down. It's like cool, refreshing, right? Not just me, just me? Okay. So, but that's nice. Oh, we got a hand raise. Thank you. Oh, that wasn't a hand raise. Okay. We got the hot springs. We got the hot springs. We got the cold mountain water. And in the middle, we've got nothing. So remember that. Was Laodicea's water good? No. Is that the point? Not really. The point is they're not usable, right? Jesus is saying, you're not usable. I can't use you. Right? There's a use for hot water. There's a use for cold water. There's not a use for nasty, undrinkable water. What do you do with salt that's not salty? Throw it out, right? And that's what he's doing with this water. Have you, ever, have you ever picked something up and you had some water in a car? It got a little warm. But, uh, you know, it, <laughs> some of you have. A little warm, but not too warm, and you drank it, and you're like, this is not satisfying at all. Like, this is making me more thirsty, right? This is a problem. So, 17 through 18. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich 
and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So Christ uses these three main industries because they're really important in Laodicea. Banking, wool, eye ointment. The church was focused on me, myself, and I. Their self-sufficiency. I am rich. I have prospered. The church has not realized it's neglected its main purpose to live gospel-centered lives. It was walking no different than the city. There's a quote by Francis Chan. And he says, Something is wrong when our lives as believers make sense to unbelievers. Just go with me on that. Something is wrong when our lives as believers make sense to unbelievers. They were no different than the city at large. They were not doing their mission. Are we living in a way that makes sense to those around us? What's really so different between us and Laodicea? We live in the wealthiest country on earth. We got wealth, check. Health, medicine, well, in Houston, we got the medical center. We got a pretty well-known medical center, check. Fashion, again, I I guess so. I'm not one to to talk about the fashion part, but I'm going to go ahead and say probably. We really do live an insulated life out here. Even if we don't consider ourselves wealthy by American standards, we are still in the top 1% of the world. And I think we forget that. So Christ invades the Laodicean church mindset of self-sufficiency and spiritual indifference. But he does so with compassion. He says, I counsel you to buy from me. You know, and you just read that, you're like, buy from you? You just said we're poor, right? So we really need, we need to look at Isaiah 55, 1 and 2 specifically. And I think this will give us a good understanding. 55, uh, Isaiah 55, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? This can only be done, this can only be bought through Christ's death and resurrection. It's through his power that we can purchase these things. It is free because it's already been paid for. You just have to go pick it up. The ability to buy from Christ this gold, garments, and salve does require something from us. We must be ready and willing to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is Romans 12.1. We must be willing to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Our last part from uh, uh, Revelations, and we're going to cover 19 through 22 and get into our final point here, is that the God calls the church to zealousness. So if we look at this, God has called the church, his church, to fully understand him. God calls the church to renewed motivations, and now God is calling the church to zealousness. In verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. 
The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This letter was written to a church of believers. These aren't, maybe they're low on the fringe, but they are believers. It's evident from what we see of the Laodicean church that it is possible to be a believer and yet live in a way that is nauseating to God. What is Christ calling you to that has gone unheeded? So when our understanding of who Christ is matches what he actually is in reality, our motivations for him should flow properly. And finally, that it would be done so with eagerness, which is what zealousness is, to be eager, earnestly moving after this, not a spirit of lukewarm shrugging. He says that he's doing this to those whom I love. So it's kind of changes this whole idea of the letter, right? To those whom I love. When I first read it, I was like, gosh, he's angry. And he's clearly not happy, but he loves us. And that is his posture towards us. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Repent, relent, and return is what repent means. Relent what you're doing. You know, sometimes I feel like I want to yell that at my kids. I do yell that at my kids. Relent! In return, son of Wiley. <laughs> sounded weird in my head, but that's right. My name is Wiley. So this helps us to reset our understanding of the letter. He's calling them back. He's saying this because he loves his church. Repent, meaning relent, and return. Quit the self-sufficiency and be zealous. Why zealous? Zealous does mean eager and earnest. Uh, a quote of John Bloom. Passion and zeal are gauges that display what our heart treasures and therefore what fuels our lives. Passion and zeal are gauges that display what our heart treasures and therefore what fuels our lives. Self-sufficiency was fueling the Laodicean church. There was no need to come to Christ for anything. They had everything. They had wealth. They had Laodicean wool. And they had the eye salve. They likely attended gatherings. They probably sang songs, you know, kissed little babies on the forehead. They were probably doing some really cool appearance things. But, it wasn't zealous, and therefore not in a manner with what Christ is seeking. If someone were to observe your life, my life, what would they say we were zealous for? We know this is happening every day. If you have kids, they're watching. Your coworkers are watching. Your neighbors through the blinds, they're watching. Murda said that was creepy, but I went with it anyways. Sometimes I do it. <laughs> what are they doing? It's late. No, they know it's late. Go to sleep. And so, please don't hear this again with anxiety, because that's not the point. Let it stir you, sure, but Jesus is calling us to deeper engagement. He wants you. He wants me. In verse 20, he calls out, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. Deeper engagement. 
This is deep intimacy. He wants to eat with you. The Lord's Supper, he's giving himself. He wants to sup with us, to intimate. I'm not talking about fast food through the drive through line. All right, we good? We got five? Okay, we're good. No, he wants deep, intimate fellowship. He's calling, offering, inviting that, that intimate fellowship. He is knocking corporately to enter. He's on the outside waiting to be let in. If only one churchgoer would just open the door, he says, I will come in to your church. But don't take this as a sign of weak Jesus. Jesus could Chuck Norris' door down. I don't know if that's still a thing. When I was in college, Chuck Norris jokes were really big. Jesus could enter. This isn't a sign of Jesus being weak or just feeble, right? Jesus wants in. He can walk in. The point is we are disengaged. That's the point. Not that Jesus is weak. Jesus stands ready to transform. Does that scare you? To be transformed? It wears on me sometimes. I'm like, no, I'm comfortable now. I just got to a place that's comfortable. No, you will go to Koinonia. <laughs> Hosea 11.7, you don't have to turn there, but it says, my people are bent on turning away from me. That's our bent, y'all. It's like spiritual ADHD. Over here now. No. And if you do have that, I'm not making fun of it. I'm just... We all do this, but he doesn't turn from us. He gives us three steps. Relent, return, and conquer in that last verse. So our call to action. You see, we really are wealthy, whether you believe so or not. Whether you consider yourself that or not, we are wealthy. We are spiritually wealthy. He has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing we could ask for. And as we close this series on the seven churches, it's my prayer that we are stirred, not as the crowd during the triumphal entry, not as the church of Laodicea, because they were stirred for their own self, but in a way that brings deeper understanding of Christ's posture towards us so that we may be an active in our works, true in our motivations, and move through life with a zealousness that others can see. As the band comes up, I'm going to pray for us. And we will close this final chapter of, uh, of Revelation. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your word. Thank you for hard things. Which feels weird praying and thanking you for. Thank you for loving us as you loved the church of Laodicea enough to knock and to go in and to stir them once again. May you stir in our lives and may we heed how you're moving within our lives. May we be consumed for you And use these resources that you've given us to your glory, not to build my own kingdom. Father, on this uh, Palm Sunday, we thank you for entering into our lives. And we apologize for expecting something that we just didn't see. We thank you. We love you. It is in your son's holy name that we pray. Amen.